0: The Other Side Podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Hello, thanks for joining us for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm Scott Kirk, here with Lucas Sullivan. And today on the phone, we have joining us the Franklin County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. Mr. O'Brien has been with Franklin County Prosecutor's Office for over 20 years and is currently serving his sixth term and he actually has served longer than any other prosecutor in the county's history. Thanks for joining us.
2: Good morning and uh,
3: thank you. So our discussion, Mr. O'Brien has, with some of the, we've had some people in the black community, Sean Walton, some others that you well know, and they claim to know you as well. And talking about, you know, just what they view as a lack of communication, I think overall is the correct way to say it. And that they believe that you have a better relationship with police than you have with some of their issues and some of their concerns.
0: So why don't we play back some audio from when Sean Walton was here
1: talking about this subject. And you have the grand jury process and the way that's presented is a complete breakdown because Ronald O'Brien has already said that, you know, 9 out of 10 times they don't believe anything happened and really it's 10 out of 10, but 10 out of 10 sounds bad, so you can't say <laughs> right. that. You know, but the relationship between the prosecutor's office and the police, it doesn't lead to that. But again, in the case of Andrew Mitchell, he's already a bad cop, was ostracized when the feds indicted him. You had Ronald O'Brien standing up there, you know, at the press conference.
3: So I wanted to ask you about that because I know that that you do some things in a community and in all the communities but I'm just wondering you know do you agree with that stance that you have a better relationship with police in the black community
2: well I will tell you this I have been uh, either the city attorney or which is an elective position here in Columbus or the county prosecutor going back for uh, over 30 years and during that time whether it is a particular part of town or a particular neighborhood or a, a particular uh, a group of individuals, constituents, interest groups. I try on an annual basis, and again, not just in election years, as some people who hold elective office only show up in election years. I try every year to visit and go to area commission meetings that the city has, go to neighborhood civic association meetings, either seeking out those meetings or Secondly, accepting invitations to appear at the meetings, which are usually in the evening, and I try to maintain contact with different interest uh, groups or community groups, including in the uh, African-American community. Just two weeks ago, I appeared at the local Baptist Ministerial Alliance, which is primarily African-American ministers and pastors. Uh, They have a monthly meeting, and there's probably twenty-five, Five pastors there, and uh, the purpose of my meeting there was twofold. One, to talk to them about Senate Bill 3, which is a drug sentencing reform issue that they had an interest in, and I think probably overall. People in the African-American community have an interest in, in drug sentencing reform because one of the complaints about our drug laws is a adverse impact on African-American defendants and a higher rate of imprisonment for them. And what my goal, and actually I'm working with the city attorney, Zach Klein, on this and President Obhoff in the Ohio Senate, is to reduce some low level drug possession offenses to misdemeanors, and secondly, to allow a broader expungement of those kind of offenses. And I was seeking uh, the minister's support. And then, secondly, some issues had arisen about a juvenile who was charged with a robbery and as an accomplice in a homicide, where a police officer in investigating online sales of cell phones, had the gun pulled on him in a robbery attempt, and he shot and killed the individual. And as the accomplice, this juvenile had been charged. And uh, the ministers had questions about that as a defendant uh, in that case in juvenile court was African American. And so I use those kind of opportunities to speak with the ministers on those two issues. And then they, of course, tell me at least that they will answer questions of their members uh, the Parents and grandmothers often of people that may be in court in trouble, and I work particularly close with uh, Pastor Frederick uh, Lamar, who has a church out on Oakwood and is very active in both the court system and on these kind of issues. And so that's just an example of some of the things that I have done recently. Certainly, I try and respond whenever I ask. and certainly we work daily, as uh, Mr. Walton indicated with police officers for the city of Columbus because they're making arrests, they're bringing us cases, but probably no more than I do with other groups that have to come down here, be they defense lawyers, be they victims or other people. The sheriff's office brings us a lot of cases, so I guess I try to have a rounded approach of working with all segments of the community.
0: Mr. O'Brien, it's interesting that you mentioned drug sentencing reform. I know you're a supporter of drug courts and treatment over punishment. I was wondering, have you always felt this way? And if not, what brought about your change of heart? And when did that happen?
2: You know, there has been not only, I think, with me, but also with society in large. And it's been accelerated, say, in the last 10 years where people know and better understand drug addiction and drug charges and the penalties associated with it. And I know that back in the time during which I was city attorney, there was a discussion I had with uh, the then county prosecutor, Mike Miller, and some of the common Pleas judges about trying to reduce felonies to misdemeanors in municipal court on low-level possession offenses. Mm-hmm. And the judges were not in favor uh, of that at the time because the view was that it would be soft on crime and drug crime, and I think that later evolved, and in 2009, when I went to Judge Vanderkar who had at that time the Mental Health Court, I asked him if uh, he would expand the Mental Health Court to include a drug court that was sometimes operating in some other counties, and even though drug offenses are felonies, I was aware that the drug court in Cleveland started by Stephanie Tubbs Jones, who later became Congress, member of Congress from the Cleveland area, was the county prosecutor because her judges, Common Police Court, were not supportive of a drug court. She went to municipal court and started it there. So I, I talked to Judge Vandercar; He agreed uh, because the issues overlap, uh, mental health and substance abuse. He agreed to expand it. We together talked to the county commissioners, city council, got some funding for it. And as part of the mental health docket, idea was expanded to include a drug court docket. And then in, I'm going to say 2011, 2012, after it had successfully operated for a few years, and we did get the buy-in of the police department, the FOP, the other municipal court judges, and the common police judges, because we were taking felonies, reducing them to misdemeanors, and then putting people in a treatment program. And if they successfully completed it, we would dismiss the charge and aid them in expunging the charge at the completion of the program. It was observed by us the apparent expansion of opiate pills and addiction to opiate pills, as well as thereafter people who couldn't get opiate pills starting to use heroin. So we asked Judge Vanderkar again in 2011 or 12 to expand the drug court to include an opiate docket and did so. And actually that was at a point in time before most people sensed or realized the seriousness of the opiate pill, as well as a heroin problem, which has exploded since those times, but I think we have very successfully worked with the drug court and the judges that have been there. Judge Vanderkar retired, and since then, Judge either Tyack and then now Jody Thomas have that docket, and they're passionate about it, devoted to it, and I think it's a successful effort. So I guess both myself just, just and, real a, quickly, and the court you know, if, if have, I could, have evolved.
0: If I could, real quickly, I just wanted to ask you, what do you think should happen to people who were sentenced to harsher penalties during say the crack epidemic
2: well Part of this Senate Bill 3 allows people who were convicted of a felony that were reduced to misdemeanors to petition the court to reclassify their conviction from a felony to a misdemeanor Mm -hmm. and anyone who may still be in prison as a result of a sentence. And usually the the lower level possession offenses were not being sentenced to prison on the first occasion, but what would happen is someone who got put on probation or community control and they didn't uh, follow all the terms and conditions would have that probation, revoked, and then sentenced to prison. So at least I favored in the Senate Bill 3 uh, discussion a provision that would allow anyone who's serving a sentence that would now be a misdemeanor, and they're in prison, and those would be the probation revocation people, that they be reclassified, and that would cause them to be uh, released from prison at that time. So I am generally in favor of trying to treat what is the possession of small amounts of drugs as a misdemeanor and anyone in prison as a result. I think most of the draconian penalties for crack possession were at the federal level as opposed to the state level. There was an argument about the distinction between powder cocaine and crack cocaine, and the crack cocaine users were probably more represented in the African-American community and the powder cocaine in the uh, Caucasian community. And so the state law was amended a few years back, and I supported that to recognize and bring in line closer the the difference in penalties for possession of crack cocaine versus possession of powder cocaine. Hey,
3: Ron, I wanted to go back to the relationship part in the black community. When we had Sean Walton in here recently, he held up an April program from an FOP event.
1: This is the FOP newsletter for April. Top right corner, who's right there?
3: So you have a booklet here, and on the cover are some pictures of the FOP newsletter. And on the front is Ron O'Brien with another attorney at an FOP event. event.
1: Yeah. And so how many officers can you indict and still be invited to the cookout or the, you know, the raffle, the fundraiser, you know, the relationship is buddy-buddy. And that is just an example of the relationship between the prosecutor's office and the police. They have a friendly relationship and it's difficult for officers to investigate their colleagues. You know, they might not know another officer, but they have a brotherhood, you know, and with... The prosecutor's office again. They they have a relationship. They're friendly, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. But the issue, you know, becomes how aggressively can you prosecute bad cops. And so again, I think you know maybe the Fed should come in all the time.
3: And I wanted to see how that lands on you when you hear something like that.
2: Well, first I disagree with that. Number one and number two, that FOP event is an annual event that I've probably attended going back many years, and it was after we indicted a Columbus police officer for murder. As you'll recollect, Andrew Mitchell was indicted for shooting and killing in an on-duty capacity a woman out on Sullivan Avenue. And so I know this event was after that and nevertheless, I was both invited and I think sometimes both at events like that and other events. I was last uh, week at the African American Chamber of Commerce annual diversity function that included the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the Asian Indian Chamber of Commerce, and a female group engaged in business, as well as a LBGT group that represents their business interests. And at this diversity event, I was present, uh, was introduced talked to many people there. In fact, going back to pictures, I, I know that there were some photographs taken and posted on both Facebook and other kind of social media, not only by myself and others from that event. And apparently Mr. Walton doesn't uh, see those postings, mm-hmm. or if he sees them, it doesn't fit the narrative that he would like to present to you and others. And that is that I have you know no relationship in the African-American community, yet I go to police events. And I uh, going back to your original question. That's just not factually true. And I think those in uh, the various communities would confirm it if you or he would ask those questions.
0: Okay. Well, Mr. Ryan, we want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, I I know you're a busy man, and I'm I'm sure there are a lot of other things you could have been doing, but um, we appreciate you coming on the show and speaking uh, honestly and candidly with us today. We hope that, that we can have you back on some other time to talk about other things.
2: Well, I sure appreciate the opportunity, especially to maybe explain the inaccuracy of what may have been said by some others, uh, because I do try and work with every aspect and every segment of our community here in Franklin County, which over the years, as you know, has become more diverse.
0: Thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, we really want to hear from you. So check us out on our Facebook page at Facebook slash group slash other side podcast, or you can always find us on Twitter at other side underscore POD. And we've got a bunch of photos from some of our interviews our guests and you can send in suggestions for show topics or guests either way we always want to hear from you and until the next time try to see things from the other side thanks just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of
1: uh, human remains that are left